Hello everyone, this is Patricia Bonilla and you're listening to Thriving in Construction, the podcast. According to statistics, more women than ever are joining the construction industry. Some of you might be surprised to learn that few of them have military background. So what made these women decide to start their construction businesses, leaving their ranks and benefits? Well, we will dive into that as our guest for today here in Thriving in Construction, the podcast, shares her experience in the Navy and why she chose to start her own company, Yerkes South. Please let us all welcome Ms. Christine Yerkes. Christine, how are you? I'm fine. Looking forward to the weekend. Looking forward to the weekend. <laughs> I thought you were going to say looking forward to this podcast. Well, that too. You know, I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you. I am very, very excited about you, about the opportunity to show people what you have been able to accomplish. Thank you so much for being here, for being in Thriving in Construction, the podcast. And I would like for you to kind of give us a little bit of a background on, on your story to our listeners. Okay, where do I start? Where I was born? <laughs> no. My name is Christine Yerke. I'm a civil engineer and I went to college for civil engineering, of course. And when I graduated college, the Navy recruited me. So I had a very fulfilling job in the career, in the military, had a great career, married and had two beautiful children. So that's really who I am as a mom. Continued with my career. I was a stay-at-home mom for two years. And let me tell you, that's a hard job. Um, so I went back to work outside the home. It was easier. Joined an engineering company, got recalled to active duty, and eventually opened my own business. So who I am is I'm always looking forward to challenges and, and exciting things to do and with a wonderful spouse and kids following. That's commendable. I mean, a civil engineer, you joined the Navy, you were called to active duty, a mom, a wife, and now a business owner. I totally mm -hmm. relate to you and I know that it's easier said than done. But when yes. you said you actually left civil engineering to you had a baby and you wanted to take care of your baby, what was going through your mind to, through your emotions? Well, like I said, I was a stay-at-home mom. And then 9-11 hit and I had to make a decision whether I was going to accept the orders or not. I'm fortunate to be a specialist in civil engineering for the Navy and there's not many of us. So we do get the opportunity to turn down orders because there were other people who did want to go. Um, they only needed six of us out of about 1,500 people that were out there and had similar qualifications. So getting that phone call was shocking. I'm looking down at my two-year-old and, and my six-year-old and they're just like, hey, mommy, who's on the phone? Is it grandma? I said, no, it's not grandma. This <laughs> is the government. It's amazing. Um, yes. And my husband and I talked it over and we realized that this could be a amazing thing, not only to serve our country, of course, but to get more experience at what I do. And the military needed me. And like I said, there were some other people that were qualified, but because I was active duty a long time, they needed my qualification. And it was an honor to, to go in, but it was terrifying. Getting ready to go was easy because you're focused on an end. You're focused on a milestone of hitting the road. To be honest, when I left our home and driving my husband's Jeep, because he needed the minivan, 10 minutes out, I had to pull over and cry for about yeah. 20 minutes. I yeah. was hysterical. Um, I was leaving my babies behind. And, you know, the husband's not going to age while you're gone, but those children are. And my orders were, were for one year. And I didn't know where I was going. So yeah. but it, it was terrifying. But you did it anyway. Mm -hmm. I accepted and orders and you got to go. And, and that's courage, right? You know, courage, people think that courage is not having fear. And that's not true. We, once you have a 
an understanding of what you want. You decided that you wanted to serve the country and you focus on that outcome and you had a deep reason why doing it, that it made you step up, but you were you had fear anyway about your leaving your kids behind, your family. You didn't know if you were going to come back. Totally stepping into the unknown. Well, and courage, somebody once told me a long time ago, brave people are always terrified. It's moving forward in the face of fear. Yeah, it's moving forward in the face of fear. Thank you for that. Yeah. It totally is. So when you say you were, you were, you had a specialty within the civil engineering in the, in the military space, what was that like? What, what do you mean when you say there was a specialty and I had this and other people could have attended, but they call me because of what is it that you, you were able to do or your specialty? When I joined the military, I or the Navy, I joined the civil engineer corps and there's about 1500 officers in the corps. Maybe it's larger now than years since I've been in, but they trained us to be leaders and engineers. And I don't know how many engineers, you know, but most are not leaders. They really stink at it. So they trained us to be project managers, leaders, and to be able to move the troops, to be able to build a bridge within two days so the troops can move forward. CBs do that, actually. But they taught us how to build things. They taught us how to lead huge groups of civilians and, and military to get things done. Build a pier in the surf line in San Diego, that sort of thing. So what they do is they they train you to have those type of leadership capabilities. But because of the complicated procurement system that the government has, they also had to train us to be contract specialists. They had to teach us how to do contracts in a contingency wartime environment legally. And we all know the government has a ton of laws, tons of regulations. It's unbelievable sometimes, but that's what we were trained to do. So it would take hundreds of hours of training that we had to have to be able to procure any different levels, three levels. And I had been level two, which I could procure anything up to, I think, $5 million at that point. I could sign for it, sign the check. So a lot of reservists don't have those courses because they're so long. And that's one of the problems with our community. And I believe they've fixed it, made it better now. But going to 200 hours worth of training for a reservist, they only drill on the weekends. They have a two-week active duty. And most have regular families and jobs. They can't get away for that long. So very few reservists have those qualifications. And I did. And well, I was a reserve. So you were in the reserve and you were obtaining these qualifications. So basically you were prepared when 9-11 hit, you have everything that is required. And that's why you you get there. So the opportunity met you where right in your in your qualification in and your to clarify yeah, and I need to clarify here most people when they join the military they do the four years or they do a couple more and then they get out six eight years in it takes 10 15 years to get those qualifications so I was on a fast track because I I was driven very motivated and I got a lot of those courses and when I made lieutenant commander in a tough year not a lot of people made it that year I decided to leave the navy and be there for my my daughters and so I had 11 years active duty under my belt and all those qualifications and then I took some time off and then I became a reservist but because I was active duty for more than just a few years I had all the qualifications that were needed for contract. That's awesome. And and you so you were deployed for how long? They actually recalled me to active duty. I was very fortunate. I did not go overseas because at first what they needed us to do was to fortify the bases, make them safe so nobody could come in and bomb the troops at home before they left overseas. So I was recalled and sent to NAS Pensacola, which is a nice training base down here in Florida. And I became anti-terrorist security expert for contract. Wow. It's really commendable. I mean, I, I look at your, your resume. You're, you, you don't stay quiet. 
I mean, you're, you're even, you're even second degree black belt Tansu. Tansu. And then also Taekwondo. No, it's a very similar form, but not the same. Not the same. So tell me about that journey. When did you start learning? When did you get, I mean, this is something that you do when you were little. No, actually, I was a very quiet, unassuming kid, stayed in the background as a middle child. So I joined the Navy. Prior to joining the Navy, I had had an incident where I could not defend myself. And luckily, everything was okay. And then when I was in the Navy, I was traveling a great deal for those ATFP projects. And I checked into a hotel very late at night. And in the parking lot, I was in uniform, fortunately, and some guys approached me and got a little too close, got very rude. Fortunately, they were wasted and mm. I can talk pretty fast though. I was in uniform. I was able to talk my way out of it just by being nice and you know, backing away and I got in the door, but that really shook me up. And I had two daughters at home. And so I thought about it and I said, you know, I need to know how to defend myself with more than just my mouth because sometimes I might need to get away. And I also wanted my daughters to be black belts before they had a first date. So that's when it started. My kids were little, went to their school one day, and this one of the teachers gave a demonstration of Tung Do, which is a Korean martial art, started after World War II, about maybe a little bit before that. But in the Korean upheaval, that's when it started as a way for the Korean bodyguard for royalty, I believe it was, and leaders to be able to defend their people. So I joined and I kept going. My kids quit at Red Belt, but I highly recommend karate with you and your kids because it's a legal way to spar each other and actually make contact. So it's so, so you were is, is does did this happen to you in the military with these two two guys? I was more than two. It was about five. And five yeah. guys and they, they were, were military? no they were not military. They were just dirtbags hanging around the park lot. Fortunately, they were drunk. So, you know, it was pretty easy to talk my way out of a bad situation. How old were you when that happened? About 34, 35. Hmm. So what was the most challenging situation that you went through when in the military? I mean, your life as a military, what was the most rewarding and most challenging? Oh, goodness. The most rewarding was standing in front of folks that I was in charge of as a leader and having people really listen and care about what I say and then work with me as a team. You know, when you're the officer and, and you've got the enlisted and the younger officers, they're required to follow your orders. But honestly, one of the highlights was is when I first took over headquarters company with one of the CVs, standing in front of a couple hundred people, it seemed probably only a hundred and knowing that they were relying on me. And then the weeks that followed that they were looking at me as the leader in approval. You know, sometimes when you're doing something like that, you've got a company, the chiefs, the senior enlisted are your best asset. And if they don't like you, they can ruin you. And I was lucky that the chiefs knew that I listened to them. And I guess just standing in front of that company a few weeks into that job and realizing I got that was the most rewarding thing of all is being just sort of taking a deep breath and saying, I got this. And you look around at the senior senior enlisted and knowing they've they've they're gonna teach me how to do it. I can do it. The most challenging, frankly, was and this has changed. I was in the same battalion and battalions are harder than the contracting office. So when you're in a battalion, you're in a military, serious military environment. And and we it was the incident with Somalia where the government, we went to help. And one of the things we did is we built piers out into the surf so that the American military could offload a Marine prepositioning ship, which was all sorts of equipment that the Marines, the Marine Corps used to build camp to secure the area. And they just used our pier from a deep water freighter to drive all the equipment on shore. So we were getting ready to mobilize. And I was approached by our executive officer and he said, you can't go. And I said, Okay, why? And I knew the answer. It was obvious. I was female. 
I couldn't go because I was female. And staring at him and not getting ugly and getting mean was really hard. And just taking taking it, processing it and saying, yes, sir, my people will go without me. That was the worst. How did that make you feel? Leaving, um, knowing that you had people that, that counted on you and not being able to be with them when they most needed you. Um, it hurt. I didn't sleep for a long time knowing that when you're the company commander, the people in the company know what they're doing if you've trained them correctly, if you've followed the processes to get them trained. It's not about me at all. It's not about my specialty. It's about me being a figurehead and making sure that people get what they need to learn and do. And the senior enlisted are the ones that are doing the daily, the hourly, the minute um, order. So I knew they could easily do it without. My concern was who were they going? There were some people in the battalion that some officers that shouldn't have been there. And I was afraid they were going to send one of the people that didn't really know or care about their people. And that's exactly what happened. So that was my concern. Are, are they going to stay safe once they see this person in charge that the chiefs don't like them, that they don't respect them? You know, and the chiefs try to hide it. But when your senior enlisted doesn't like you and doesn't respect you, it's really. And I was really worried that Rift was going to get somebody hurt. Yeah, that, that's leadership. Tell me about leadership. You know, you you got this training, civil engineer and the leadership skills. Tell me three things for our listeners from your perspective that a true leader has innate in, in them. They're humble. They don't belittle others because more, I happen to have more school than everybody else because I was in college and fortunate to get a commission as an officer. But just because I had more school didn't mean I know more. Staying very humble and knowing that your people out there, your entire company, every one of them has a job and especially that hopefully you've allowed them to learn. You've gotten them the courses they needed, but they really, you don't really contribute much. But you bring the, the team together. So you have to remember that it is the team needs you as a leader. They need you to rally them. But you're not the king or the queen. You're just another part of the team. And that happens to be your job. So you have to remain humble. Um, you also have to earn respect. I always hated it when you get a senior officer or senior enlisted that assumed you were going to respect them just because of the number of bars they had on their, their neck or their sleeve or wherever. You know, if you're enlisted or officer, officer, it's on your lapels enlisted shows. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but you don't automatically get respect. Yes, they have to salute the uniform, but you can tell if somebody's saluting you and they have no respect for you, you can see it in their face and they're saluting you. And it's almost, I don't know, there was occasions where I was a junior officer first starting out and there was a, a commander I didn't care for very much. And I decided that to be able to salute him without a smear on my face, I would consider it the finger. I was giving him the finger every time, which was so juvenile and so ridiculous, but When I checked into that command, he just made it very obvious I was female and a nothing person. So unfortunate for him because he didn't see the talent that he was wasting. So earning respect, mm -hmm. remaining humble. Anything else, Pops? The ability to build the talent and yeah. bring a and team. camaraderie. Mm -hmm. Having the ability to build a team is incredibly important. If you don't know how to build a team, it's not being... A lot of folks mistake leadership for management. Management is just orchestrating a group of folks to get something done. Leadership is motivating a group of people to get things done. So you have to know how to motivate. You have to know what motivates people. You have to care about. So a real leader cares about their people, knows what motivates them, and then motivates. Well said. Influence them. Influence them to take action. So in so all that knowledge that you acquire in the military, you go now, you decide to start your company, which first question is why? You know, I mean, you had it enough uh, already as it was. So you now decide to have your own company. And uh, by the way, thank you very much for your service. It's uh, very commendable. This country wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for people like you that decide to take that level of action and sacrifice. So thank you very much.
It was my honor, actually. I know. So why do you start your company? And and this training, what was the most, you know, when you talk about leadership, what is it that has helped you to be successful in your construction company? You start a construction business and now you take all the skills that you have acquired and you have learned into the second journey and you transfer them and utilize them to obtain the success that you have. Can you give us some light as to... What has been the biggest contribution the military has done for you to be successful in your company? And why did you start your company? When I joined the military, I was extremely shy and obnoxious. I was very fortunate to grow up in a family that didn't have to worry about money. I was not a nice person all the time. I was a lot of fun. I had fun. But because I was so shy, I would overcompensate when I was uncomfortable by being slightly obnoxious. And the military beat that out of me. After I was active duty, I did become a civilian with the Army Corps of Engineers and Naval Facilities Engineering Command a little bit before I started my business. But the military had me grow up and I couldn't have done anything without growing up. And I just wanted to say that outright. And then as I worked as a civilian for the government, I realized that the government hierarchy was no longer for me. I wanted to do more. I wanted to have more freedom. But from the military, I learned how to put together a good team. I learned to know that you didn't have to be the smartest person in the room. You just had to have the best people in the room that supported you. Um, I think it was President Bush that once said, I'm not the smartest guy in the room by any means, but, I, but all of you are really, and you're a lot smarter than me. So you make me look. And knowing that I didn't have to be the person who knew everything, but I knew how to put a team together. I knew how to bring in the right people for the right jobs. And it tur if it turned out we brought in somebody for the wrong job, I learned from the military how to find what job would be good for them because there's nothing worse than taking an engineer who can't look you in the eye and just about falls over when they're supposed to speak in public and turn them into a motivational speaker. It, that would be crazy. So, all right, I heard you to be a motivational speaker. Somehow you got past our interview process, but you're an idiot in front of people. So how would you like to be our designer? All you have to do is talk to your computer and they excel it. So that's one of the things that the military taught us is to be a leader and to find the right people for the right job. And if you happen to have a person that isn't in the right teach them or show them or figure out what they do really well. And if you need that expertise, use it. And if you don't, we have hired people that didn't work out. And I made it my mission to go find them a job, find them where they could excel because we made the mistake of hiring. We didn't ask the right questions. So it's all about the military teaching you that your people is your, your family and you're supposed to take care of them no matter what. Yeah. And it's so important to the value of people. Like in our industry, we can't do anything without people. The biggest, mm -hmm. the most important resource. And when you build a team and you, when you're in the military, that level of, of trust, you have to have a high level of trust because you're going into combat and you know you have to cover each other right and and have everyone's best interests at heart that's how you can win you have been listening to thriving in construction the podcast to get our latest updates and avoid missing an episode in the future head over to our website patriciabonilla.com and click the podcast and then please subscribe. We want to hear more about you. This is Patricia Bonilla. And once again, thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of Thriving in Construction, the podcast. Can you tell us, you know, how do you put a, a team together? I know this is one of the things that you, you might not, you do almost with, with your eyes closed. But when you go about, when you go about a challenge, let's say you, you have a we're, we actually are trying to, to do some work together and we're going to get really nice projects, 10, 15 million dollar projects. So now we have the projects. How do you go about thinking, well, you know, we have this, I got to put a team together because you're right. I'm not the hero here. My people 
are the hero. The team that is, is going to execute on this mission are going to be the heroes. How do you go about that? I'll use this as an example. You know, we're going to work with you guys at Lumicon. Four years ago, I met Emilio at a conference. We were at the same briefing for the core in Mobile District. And they were interviewing different contractors at the same time. And I looked at that company's qualifications and thought, yeah, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. Company, all right, woman owned, you know, got the whole bit. And then I start to walk. And I think building a team is finding the first, the first thing is figuring out number one, what you want to do. You see an outstanding person or company or whatever. I'd like to work with them, but how, how could we be synergist, so to speak? So I didn't talk to him at all, hardly, except chatting and, you know, nice. Come by your booth, say hello, see you're being, you were incredibly successful. How can I do this? And I realized with my company just starting, it didn't matter that I had built a billion or half a, half a billion dollars worth of buildings in the military. They don't count. My company had no experience. So I had to find companies with experience. So I was looking for experienced team partners. So I'd looked at that company. I've looked at other companies and thought, all right, well, what do I want to accomplish? Uh, I want to accomplish a team that can get projects done and fill my philosophy of getting in there quick, doing it right because you planned, making sure everybody knows what they're supposed to do, executing the project so the client is happy as a clam, everybody is happy, the project looks great, and you're done. And everybody makes a reasonable profit and goes home happy, looking forward to the next project. So putting a team together, you have to figure out your purpose first. What are you looking to do? You don't want to put together a team just because you like them. You want to put together a team that has the same mission and goals that you've got, has the same, uh, whatever's important to them, the same or similar. And find team members that are stronger than you in other ways. And what can you offer them? So that's the first thing that I would always do or I have done. It's just watch and figure out, all right, what do I want to do? All right, well, you decide, all right, I want to put together a phenomenal construction team that can go further than 200 miles from my home mall, which is pretty much what we do. How do I do this? So I start looking at the individuals leading the company. Do they have a clue? Do they, are they a manager or are they a leader? I start looking at the styles. I talk to the people like at these conferences. I'll talk to the people in the booths more than I'll talk to you because I want to talk to the person who put this podcast. I want to know about her. What is she like? And tell me a lot about the person who hired. And I start looking for the strengths in all the people that they're surrounded by. And as I watch, I get to know more. Did a lot of research in the computer with the government systems legally. I don't have access to anything fun anymore. And started looking at all right, what projects are they working on? And once you realize it's, it's synergistic, we get to the point where we're at. Okay, we've decided we want to work together. We have a good style. Well, the next thing is, is we have to figure out the process. There's a lot of things that you got to put together. You got to put together bonding. You got to put together this. You got to put together who's going to be super. You got to put all that together. And I found the best way to do that is to find a project and bid that project with that group. Even if you don't even turn in that proposal because you can't get it done, because the first project's always going to be the worst. Figuring out the roles and responsibilities of everybody on that team. What is Christine doing? What is Patricia doing? What is Anita doing? What is Rusty doing? Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. So we put together a great proposal and we win it. So when we win it, we're ready to go. So I guess to summarize it, I, you do your homework, you figure out which direction you want to go, sort of like looking at a map. You go to Google Maps. Okay, I want to go to Oklahoma. And you set your course. You find the best way there. And you find the team that'll get you. And make Absolutely. sure that those people know what they're doing. I, I love the way you describe this. So I'm going to add a little bit. I, I kind of capture your, your thoughts. So I have clarity all around the board here. Mm -hmm. You you want to make sure that there's clarity around the purpose. And that there's clarity around the goals and objectives. And that we match vision and mission that there's similar values among the team. 
right? Whether it's in my team as a company, the people I hire, the consultants I, I work with, or even teaming partners, companies that, are, that, that we put together to go after a bigger opportunity. And in the values that are important for you, I hear planning is important. I hear that you're customer driven. And I hear that you, we need to have the ability to execute and make the clients happy. Mm-hmm. And I also heard that you, one of the important things is to leverage on each other's strengths. Yeah. Right. Not exactly. But, but kind of identify the weaknesses, but leverage the strength. And you are a good listener and you're a good observer. And after you have all that figured out, you focus on processes and procedures. And then what, who is part of this team? What are the roles and responsibilities? So there's clarity around who's doing what and why. And then you put it in action and then you learn and we learn and we adjust. So in a nutshell, that's how you build a team. Mm-hmm. And make sure the right person is in the right job. That is, I mean, doing all that and getting a team together and then mobilizing on site. And you got to be able to trust the people you put into place to get it done. And I just can't emphasize how important it is to know the people. Yeah. 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 Listen and observe. Right. And so then be I able to let go. And then that was my second question. So when you put this, you do your best effort and you people, sometimes we don't understand ourselves. So Mm -hmm. let alone try to think that we're going to be perfect into understanding somebody, you know, emotions affect us and affect people. So we don't necessarily act the same way and so on and so forth in situations and circumstances. So when you realize that you did your best effort, you put your plan in action, yet there's somebody that doesn't match the role or it's not executing at the level that it's important, is necessary for because of the project or because of the client. Now you have to have a crucial conversation. How do you go about having a crucial conversation, probably to let somebody go? Maybe you've had other conversations already. How do you go about that? Because those are not nice conversations to have. No, they're not. And, you know, as you go along in this business, that happens less frequently because you learn how to talk to people and interview people to get the right person. But we had a situation recently where we did not have the right person. And um, she was amazing. Don't get me wrong. And everything that had to do with computers. But she also was in charge of controlling our project, keeping the paperwork moving, getting our people badges to get on bases. And she was one of the most caustic people I'd ever met. She could piss a rock. And that was not the role she needed to be in. And one day she made the wrong person in our company angry. I was there and I we pulled her aside and said, listen, this isn't working. And you know, it's not working. Because she, what she ha- did is she had to attempt and she chewed one of our leaders out in front of everybody. And that's not a good deal. So we pulled her aside because, of course, you praise in public and you just went in private. Pulled her into the office and chatted with her and said, you're obviously very unhappy. What caused this explosion? And it just all flowed out of her. And you just listened. And we looked at her and said, you know, this is a people business. We need to let you know that you're not fulfilling the people part. You're you're not working well with others. We don't think you're happy. What would you rather be doing? If you could have your perfect job, what would you rather be doing? And she lost her temper and it was not a good scene. And we told her, we don't have anything here for you that is purely IT. So we think we need to let you go. Would you like to leave now? Or would you like a couple of weeks to figure out what your next move? Is? And she got up and walked out of the office. And never. Sometimes those conversations, which are extremely difficult to have, if you let a person vent and listen and truly listen to what they're saying instead of arguing with them, you can figure out where their frustration lies and you can move them somewhere else. That had been an engineer. I would have told her, all right, you need to be a design engineer and, and we'll have the project manager work with you and you'll work with the clients with the PM to develop the design. 
but she wouldn't have been in charge of talking to the people. So we would move them into where they are strong. But the biggest, the hardest thing is, is not reacting when somebody is venting and somebody is angry. And that's one of the most valuable lessons I think I learned from my partner, Rusty, is he has the ability to sit back and very calmly say, you're not happy here. What do you want? And he didn't take that well. And he, he left. That's a good one. And I'm, I hope people that are in the talent area can listen to this. Because at the end, when people explode like that, it's a cry for help and, or a cry, cry for love. You know, nobody goes on, leave their, leave their homes let me get dressed, let me go to work and let me screw up really bad. So that's not really the intent that people have. So let, let me move on to uh, my last questions. It's going to be, what was the, as a woman, did you see challenges for being a woman in a in two ma- industries that are male dominated, the military and also the construction industry? Did you, did you see a challenge? And what can you, how can you inspire other women or the young women to come into the military space or the construction space what can you what can you say to them so that they can we need more women in construction and we need more young people we need more people in general yeah we do now when i first joined the military i guess i was clueless or young or something i didn't really feel the gender issues until i checked into a command and one of the older commanders said a stupid joke like i've never had a woman under me before i mean you just gotta roll your eyes what a dad joke you know Inpro- inappropriate dad joke so i never really felt it from people i worked with the people that were about my age you know it was really the much older folks that had you know, the gender biases. I've been very fortunate it's gotten better every day. So in the military, until I was at the battalion, I was told I couldn't go. And that was about four years in. I hadn't really thought about gender, really. Everybody, if if you work hard, you stay humble and believe. And when I first started, I was not humble. I was, it took a beating down from a very senior Marine to pull me aside and say, yo, Lieutenant, you're a jerk. You need to learn that you are not the end all get all. You need to learn. And he, and he shook me up really good. And I grew up. But going into the military, you don't have the luxury of growing up in the military anymore. You, you've got to be able to be calm. Uh, you got to be able to have phenomenal listening skills and retention. So for any woman entering the military, it is an amazing way to go. I mean, my resume, I had a resume to die. Nobody's got a resume like mine. Who's been, who was a leader when I was 24 years old? Not many. And it's not because I was super good. It's just because I was in the right job and the military is the right job. Go in and you're given responsibilities and you execute them and you mess it up and then people help you fix and then you don't mess it up again exactly the same way. You mess it up another way later and somebody helps you fix it that's more senior. And that's really what it's all about is going in and being willing to learn, being humble. And I can't say it enough, be yourself. Oh my gosh. I know so many women that went in any career, they're not themselves. They're some fake. They are what people, what they think people think they should. Yeah. And I was a leadership coach with Society of Women Engineers for a long time. And it was in that era where a lot of women didn't wear makeup at all because they didn't want to be in a skirt and makeup around guys all day because, you know, it just was uncomfortable. I was never like that. I don't like makeup because it melts off in the heat and I'm outside a lot. So in, they would downplay their, their gender. And I saw so many people do that. And so I became a coach with the Society of Women Engineers to, to learn about how to coach younger women and how to do this. And we had a fun time over about after I was out of the military, I was now a civilian and being a woman in construction is even harder than being a woman in the military. Because in the military, at least 
people who don't treat you properly or, you know, God forbid, attack you are treated very harshly in the military. Somebody in my battalion had touched me and there'd been a problem. My senior enlisted chiefs would have taken care of the problem. And that person wouldn't have done it again. But in the civilian industry, it's a doggy dog world. And, and I'm a canine fan, so sorry about that example, but it's really hard to be a female in construction. And when I was a coach, uh, we would go to these colleges and talk to young women and say, be yourself, be humble, and work your butt off. You've got to work twice as hard as a lot of the guys. And I could get inappropriate here if I want. <laughs> Just do your thing. Keep your head down. Be nice. Be friendly. Don't be overly nice. Just be yourself. And if you like to wear a full face of makeup, hell wear it all day long. You like that? Go for it. You want to put your hair up in a ponytail like I did every day to downplay that I was a blonde. You know, of course, blondes are stupid back then. And, uh, you know, go for it. But one of the things that we did with these college women is I was very fortunate to have an electrical engineer and electrical engineers tend to be brilliant. And we would bring her in as a display because she used to be a fashion model and she was downright drop dead gorgeous. And we would bring her with us and everybody assumed she was in sales or something. We would introduce her as the most brilliant person in the room. She was absolutely genius level and she looked, oh my God, you just couldn't take your eyes off. You you can be look like that and be respected and be really good at what you do. Yeah. So in construction, that's the hardest part sometimes is getting over the gender issue of guy, thinking that guys are looking at you as a date or something. Just be yourself, keep your head down, work your butt off, earn respect, and there won't be any gender issues except for the extreme idiots out there. Thank you so much. We're going to have to do another one. Okay. We can talk and talk and talk forever. I, I love and appreciate uh, your experience and your willingness to, to share it with other people and how hard you work in everything you do, how committed you are to, to the outcome, your leadership style, your leadership skills. Thank you so much. And I, I look forward to collaborating and, and more and helping more people and, and bringing to the world everything that, that you have learned, that I have learned, so that we can help more small businesses and more people shine. Um, and thank you also. I didn't really know much about your podcast until I was invited and I looked at it and I thought, wow. She's running a business. She has a family and she's doing a podcast. And I wear makeup. <laughs> and you wear makeup and dress. So I just, I am in awe of what you're doing. And thank you for doing this podcast. If we can get young women just entering the industry to listen to this, you know, I'm 30 years in to listen to a little bit of advice. You know, one piece of advice could change their career. Yes. It's not because we're brilliant. It's just because we've been there, done that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to do it. So thank you for doing it. Thank you so much. I, you know, information has has a lot of power and obviously execution trumps knowledge, but both people need to know bringing awareness and bringing the information is just a change of perspective. And sometimes, like you said, it's just a little. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much. I'm excited about what, what we're about to create together and can, looking forward to your success, to seeing you shine more and, and grow. Thank you so much. Thanks. We'll succeed together. Thank you for listening to Thriving in Construction, the podcast with Patricia Bonilla. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you have any suggestions or any related topics you would like us to tackle in our future episodes, feel free to reach Patricia by sending her a message through the website anchor.fm slash thriving in construction or find her on LinkedIn. Thanks again and we'll see you next week here in Thriving in Construction, the podcast. Thank you.